In 2016, I took my final seminary class, which happened to be a study trip to Israel. One of the most poignant moments of that trip was on a Sabbath or a Shabbat. Leslie and I were staying at a hotel within the city walls of Jerusalem called Hotel Gloria. And once the sun went down on Friday night, that's the beginning of the Sabbath, the beginning of Shabbat, we walked down to the western wall. The western wall is the remaining portion of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. There are actual stones from King Solomon's day at the base of this wall. This is where the Jews pray. They have a a portion of the courtyard blocked off so people can go and pray at this wall, and they pray and they're heartbroken at the loss of the temple. And they have a desire to be close to the presence of the Lord where God used to be in the temple. And we got down to this area and there is the wall to my front and there's dancing and celebrating the Shabbat, the Sabbath to my right and people are dancing around in their circles and there's just a lot of celebration and there's the praying of the Psalms and there's excitement all over the courtyard And I made my way through the packed crowd of Jewish men praying in front of the wall. It was so packed, it was shoulder to shoulder. I had to sneak my way like through a mosh pit at a concert or something. And I got all the way to the wall, and I had my hand on the wall, and I prayed. And I prayed for peace. And I prayed for grace. And I prayed for God to come quickly, or in the words of Hebrew, Maranatha. And while I prayed, I realized All these people were around me longing for their Messiah to come. They were longing for the fulfillment of these scriptures, longing for the King to show up, reading the Psalms that proclaim that the Messiah would come, praying the Psalms, singing the songs. And it was with great heartbreak that I felt that weight. They had missed the Messiah. Their Messiah did come. Their King did come. Their fulfillment of the Scriptures did come. They and their grandfathers and their grandfathers' grandfathers had missed Him. And I wept and I prayed that they would hear the message of Jesus with open ears. And I prayed to their Messiah that the message of peace would come to their ears and that they would receive it, that they would hear of the good news of a good kingdom and they would receive it because they'd already been told. This morning, We're going to hear the beginning of that story, the beginning of the telling the family of Jesus the news of his coming. When Jesus tells his apostle to tell the house of Israel, to tell them of the kingdom. And we will see that the message of the sent one from the king leaves peace or judgment. Turn, if you haven't already, to chapter 10 in Matthew, and we'll start with verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
So this is the sending effort of Jesus. He's sending out a specific crew, the 12. And who are the 12? If you recall from last week, they are the 12 disciples or the learners or the followers who God gave authority. These were the 12 who had been following him and watching him and observing him and seeing how Jesus did ministry, how he preached authoritatively. They heard his sermons. They saw him cast demons out and engage the brokenness of the world and the sickness and the disease. They watched the king, King Jesus. They watched him show up and put brokenness back together and heal sickness and banish afflictions. They saw that the world is put right where the king is working. And last week, we saw the authoritative Jesus delegate his authority to these 12, and he made them sent ones. That's what apostle means, sent ones. The learners become the doers. The observers become the actors. And that is where we pick up the story today. Who is involved? The 12. Where does Jesus tell them to go? He says, go to the lost sheep of Israel. There is a particular direction to the action. This is not the shotgun blast approach. This is not the go talk to anybody and everybody that you see approach. That's the kind of posture we're used to, right? Go into all the world making disciples. Who said that? Jesus. Yes. But this direction is more narrow. And I think this is for two reasons, compassion and particularity. First, Jesus has already largely been interacting and preaching and teaching and healing within Jewish towns around Galilee. That is the primary place where his ministry has been acted out. In fact, just in the last chapter, Jesus was observing the crowds and he has been drawn to compassion by what he saw. In Matthew 9, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now he's given authority to his disciples. He has sent them as apostles. He wants them to go to these lost sheep because Jesus has compassion. It makes sense at a practical level, doesn't it? That you would go to the people you know have a need, right? I have a bit of an organized mentality that I always want a system. So I, I may be prone to overcomplicate things. Okay, we got to go meet people. we got to go tell people. Let's, okay, we're going to make a list. Alphabetical order, that's a good way to do it. Or maybe, okay, we'll start with the people I know most closely. So maybe I should rate them. Maybe I can have a rating system. Or maybe the time built, the, whoever has the most time built up in relationship, they can be A, B, C, D. We can be most efficient, most effective. How about you keep your eyes open and you act in compassion? The person in front of you. That's what Jesus is doing. He's seen them. He has compassion on them. He sends his apostles to them. As though he's saying, I have seen with my own eyes that these people right here are lost or sick or sad or broken. So I can step into care right now. You can step into care right now. You can share good news right here. You can love someone right here. And Jesus has observed the harassed and the helpless, and he sends his people to care for them and proclaim good news to them. He wants to have compassion on the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
there's also something particular about the direction because there's something particular about the house of Israel. Israel came from Abraham. You may know that story about Abraham, a guy that, a really old guy that God called out of what is now Iraq. God called him and said, I'm going to take you to a land. I'm going to bring you to a place and I'm going to make you a people. This old guy didn't even have kids. And God says, I'm going to promise to you. I'm going to covenant myself to you and I'm going to make you a people. And this, the descendants of your people will be a blessing. In Genesis 22, it says, In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That's the promise God made to Abraham. That's the covenant God made to Abraham. And God did what he said he would do. He gave Abraham a son, and then a grandson, and then 12 great-grandsons, 12 grandsons that would become tribes, 12 tribes of Israel, He made a people of Abraham, and that people was called Israel, and they were large. They were a nation that could tell all the nations about their God, Yahweh, the promise-keeping, covenant-making God. And in all their proclamation, all the nations would be blessed. But alas, they were lost. And for generations they are lost, and they wait for a blessing. They wait for the offspring that would bless the nations. They wait for the good news that they could tell the nations. And the offspring that would be the ultimate blessing to the nations is a great, 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 great grandkid of of Abraham, Jesus. So the apostles take with them a twofold blessing. The God who will be a blessing to all nations has come. Hear and believe you no longer need to be lost. He has come to make you found. And also, friends, the good news for all nations is here. This is what you can tell everyone and be a blessing to them. That is why there is a particularity. Where will we start? Jesus says, don't start with the Gentile towns. Don't start with the Samaritan towns. Start with the towns that have the relationship with Yahweh the ones who know the covenant-making, promise-keeping God, the ones that were set aside to be a blessing. In other words, go to family. Proclaim the good news that the kingdom has come to the family before you announce it to the neighbors. And this is not a prohibition to tell the good news to the Gentiles or the Samaritans. It is a not yet for those towns. Even Jesus, if you recall, as we have walked through Matthew, even Jesus has proclaimed good news to the Gentiles as he comes upon him. But they are headed to family first. Picture two soon-to-be parents. They're at the hospital. They're ready to welcome this baby, and it's been a long night. The labor has been hard and difficult, and mama's been working really hard all night. And now the baby has arrived, healthy and sound, and dad wants to go tell the grandparents who are in the lobby. And he runs down the hall to share with the family with a big smile on his face, and he's excited, and the janitor stops him and says, hold up, what are you so excited about? He says, I have a baby. I'm a dad. Good news is shared, of course. But the goal is still to proclaim the good news to the family. We want to get to the lobby. We've got to tell the grandparents. 
Jesus says, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and tell them the good news. And what is that good news the apostles are to proclaim? Jesus says in verse 7, and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. The good news is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heaven, the place where God, Yahweh, dwells, has come close. It is near. You can touch it. The place of rule as it should be is upon us. The place where the good king sits on a throne is within your grasp. You can touch it. Isn't that good news? The king is sending out sent ones, apostles. The king is sending out ambassadors to these little towns. The king is sending out messengers to let the family know that the king is here. Delegated authority resides in them. They are representatives of the king and their message is simple. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. King Jesus is here. And what action comes alongside this good news? Healing of the sick. Raising of the dead. Cleansing the leper. Casting out demons. In short, everything Jesus was doing in the preceding chapters of this story. The sent ones, the ambassadors of Jesus, come showing that the king can indeed turn this upside-down world right side up. The sickness and death do not hold authority over Jesus. That demons and uncleanness cannot hold people back from the kingdom. The sent ones get to go and proclaim the same way Jesus has been going and proclaiming. They have been observing And as we have been reading for many chapters, they have been observing Jesus do exactly these things. And now Jesus is saying, all right, your turn. Continue my ministry to the lost sheep. Expand the ministry to many towns. Proclaim the good news to all the house of Israel. And what a gift it is. The call is to give it as freely as you receive it. Jesus is describing an incredibly gracious and compassionate ministry. Can you picture it? An exceedingly valuable turn of events for every person who is changed by this. Every sick person made well. Every demon cast out. Every person finally freed from that kind of oppression. And they're not going to charge for it. These ambassadors will not be getting rich off this work. They will give as they have received. They get to be a conduit for the goodness of God, the graciousness of God, the gifts of God. Isn't that fitting for the sent ones of Jesus? But maybe you're thinking, how will they fund the ministry? What are the preparations for this work? Jesus continues, do it this way. In verse 9, acquire no gold nor silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff for the laborers deserve his food. What are the preparations? Nothing. Yikes. I don't know about you. I'd be thinking, 
shouldn't we have a contingency plan? I think I'm going to bring my credit card just in case. Or at least some cash. Can I throw in an extra pair of clothes or at least some socks and underwear? An extra staff? Anything? There is something subversive even about this. This makes the apostles in their hurriedness, in their urgency, in their preparation, look like the prophets of old. The ones walking in the wilderness, not as you would expect travelers to look. They go out of the door quickly to proclaim a message with nothing but the clothes on their back because the message is urgent. Even the method, the way of going is part of the message. The same is true here. Jesus seems to be sending a final message to the lost house of Israel who had heard prophet after prophet after prophet for hundreds of years proclaiming the words of the covenant-making, promise-keeping Yahweh. This is a last desperate effort. Jesus the King has arrived on the scene and sent 12 messengers to the 12 tribes of Israel to proclaim the kingdom. They're not taking time to build up preparations or fundraise or load the donkey. They're going straight away to the cities to give the good news. And also, this is Jesus applying the words of the Sermon on the Mount right to his disciples. The laborer deserves his food. In other words, God will take care of you. As though to say, don't you remember, disciples, you were standing right there while I preached it. This is from Matthew 6 when Jesus was preaching. He said, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and let your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And He tells them, now go out there and proclaim the kingdom and trust the King of the kingdom when He sends you. There will be food, You won't lose your clothes. Actually, be pretty easy because you won't have a bag of clothes to lose, right? This is not about recklessness or a foolish lack of preparation. This is about trust in the sending king. So they trust by their going with what they have, but, but how does it look as it goes? What is the method of the trip? Jesus says, in whatever town or village you enter, Find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. 
Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. First off, what is a worthy house? I'll admit that is a little strange to our ears. We don't talk that way. And in my mind, I think none of us are worthy for the message, right? But this would be a house that wants to open itself to house an ambassador of the kingdom, a proclaimer of the message of the kingdom. And if you ponder the context, Jesus has been ministering to the area of Galilee for a bit of time now. People have heard about him and they've heard his message. The word has spread. Perhaps some heard as they were traveling from city to city, think business trips. There would be those ready and willing to hear more, perhaps those in other towns who are ready to host. So the disciples need to find a worthy place, a fitting and proper place to stay. And what better place than someone who may have heard about Jesus and wants to be hospitable? They would perhaps show up to a village and get to the main gate and tell the guy at the entrance, hello, my name is Matthew or James or John or Peter, and I am sent from Jesus. Is there some place I could stay? And the guy at the gate may say, oh yeah, Tom, Tom has heard of Jesus. He keeps talking about that guy. You should check with Tom. He may be hospitable to you. And they would go to the house and see if it is worthy, if Tom, in fact, is willing to be hospitable. I like this for two reasons. First, God is providing what is necessary for the harvest, preparing the ground. Do you remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about Jesus observing the lost sheep? God is the one that sends the laborers and prepares the ground. In Matthew 9, Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So if the apostles show up and there is a worthy house, God prepared the ground. God prepared the laborers. He is answering prayer. If we participate by showing up, God is already moving and we get to participate with him as he answers prayer. And secondly, this is a practical acting out of how Jesus said ministry goes with Jesus. Prior to this, Jesus said it's not all hotels and resorts with Jesus. If you recall, Jesus said foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. There are no Airbnbs. There are no special apps so that you can be self-sufficient and independent. There has to be an active trust in the disciples, in the apostles, that everything that is needed for them will be there. So if there's a house, they enter it. As they stay there, and they stay there until they leave that city, that is their base of operations as they proclaim the kingdom and heal diseases and hopefully make an outpost of the kingdom, a little embassy of the king in that village. And Jesus says, as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. And if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. He says, as you enter the house, greet it. Tell them who you are. Say, good morning. I'm with Jesus. And you know, they would probably know pretty quickly if this place was going to work out. If it is worthy. If they were open for hospitality. And if it is worthy, Jesus says, let your peace come upon it. Otherwise, let it return to you. 
let blessing rest upon the house or keep moving. The apostles are the sent ones from the king of peace. In fact, a typical Hebrew greeting is shalom, literally peace or rest. I'm not sure if they were using that particular greeting during this time, but there is something fitting in that type of greeting. These are the sent ones of the king of peace, the one who can bring rest, the one who can turn the broken world to rightness. And where they go, that greeting can have some weight. What better bit of peace than to have the good news of the kingdom proclaimed within and from your house? Their very message would be peace and rest for the soul. If you hear it and want to accept it, that peace remains. Otherwise, it goes away. I can't help but think of the blessing from Numbers. You've heard it probably in song form. But in Numbers, the blessing, it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And there's something about that blessing that is now fleshed out in the practical workings of the sent ones of the kingdom proclaiming that the kingdom is near at hand. They walk into this house and say, blessing, a blessing like that, because they could say, I have seen face to face the Lord. I have seen him. I have seen the king. This blessing, this possibility of this grace is at hand. You can touch it. The goodness of this peace is attainable. The peace is there for the taking, and the house is worthy or not, willing or not, receiving or not. Listening or not. And Jesus says, If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. I just get sad when I read this. I know it is the likely scenario, but it is so tragic to me that some town or some village or some house would not receive the sent ones from the king, the king of peace, the king of the universe, the king of redemption and restoration. As though when they got to the gate, they would just be turned back. No, we're good. We don't need a proclamation of a good kingdom. Or for them to hear the good news of this king who has authority over sickness and disease, who throws demons out and beats back death. No thanks. We don't need that here. Or to hear that the upside down is being made right side up. To hear blessing for the poor in spirit and blessing for the mourning. Blessed are the meek. And those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for you shall be satisfied. Isn't that good news? And they say, nope, we don't need that. Oh no. And the more you understand the beauty of the reality of the kingdom, the more you understand the goodness of this king, the more it stings that any village, any town, any house would reject it. That any friend would say, I don't need that. 
that any family member would say, don't tell me about that. That they would, they would take a pass. This is heartbreaking. And Jesus is preparing them for this eventuality. When this happens, when they reject you, my sent ones proclaiming my message, when that happens, walk out of the town and leave the dust from the streets on the ground. Leave all remnants of affiliation with them. Make it obvious to them that you don't want a part in their rejection. And Jesus concludes with this chilling line. He says, Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that city. Sodom and Gomorrah. The infamous city that God came to inspect because the outcry against it was so great. The city whose sin, Genesis tells us, was very grave. This is the city that Abraham, the father of Israel, that Abraham tried to advocate for, intercede for. Abraham was working to be a blessing to all nations, so he advocated for the city. The city his nephew lived in, Abraham knew its reputation, so he did the caring thing, the merciful thing, and advocated for its salvation, literally negotiating with God to save the city. If there was a minimum number of righteous people, God, would you save this city? He came to God and he said, what if there were, what if there were 50 righteous people? What if you could find 50 righteous people? Would you save it then? And Abraham knew the reputation of this city. He knew the inhabitants of this city. And he asked God for 50 people. If that were the case, would you save it? And God graciously said yes. But Abraham knew that's not good enough. That number is too big. And he said, what if there's only 45 What if there's five less than 50? If there's 45 righteous people, will you save the city if you can find that many? And God graciously said yes. But Abraham knew it wasn't enough, and he said, what about 40? If there's 40, would you do it for 40? And God graciously said yes. And Abraham said, what about 30? He knew this city. What about 30? If you can find 30 in the entire city, is that enough? Would you save it? And God graciously said yes. And Abraham said, what about 20? If there's only 20. His family lived in that city. He knew that city. He said, what about 20? If there's only 20, would you save it then? And God graciously said yes. And Abraham said, that's still not good enough. What if there's only 10? What if there's only 10? Would you save it then? And God graciously said yes. And there wasn't enough to spare it. The angels went to the city 
And rather than welcome the angels, the people of the town wanted to have their way with them. There was nothing hospitable about this city. There was nothing worthy about this city. This city went up in flames. Genesis tells us fire and sulfur from heaven. It is a tragic and horrific story. It is obvious that when the day of judgment comes and Sodom and Gomorrah show up on the docket, it's not going to go well. But this is the striking thing. It will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for the town that rejects the sent ones. For the town that rejects the apostles, the ones sent by Jesus. Because this is Jesus in the flesh sending his disciples out. This is Jesus the King. Jesus the King had come. The Messiah was here. Standing there proclaiming the kingdom, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, making obvious by word or deed that the Messiah had come. This was not some mere angel. He was throwing unclean spirits to the curb. This is God in the flesh. This is the one with authority. He is sending out his disciples with authority and to reject that message is something tragic, yes, but costly. Do not reject the king. The cost is high. The judgment is weighty. The sacrifice is huge. Why would you give up peace for judgment? And it all comes down to that, friends. Peace or judgment. Those are the only two outcomes to this message this message on the lips of the authority-holding apostles. They didn't come well-dressed or equipped. They came depending on hospitality because they came with authority. They came with good news. They came with the actions of the kingdom, healing and life and ejection of unclean spirits. They didn't proclaim for the money or the accommodations. They slept on couches and ate what was given to them but they were the messengers of the king. The king that has all authority, the king that came to us, the king that brought the kingdom and proclaimed good news to the sick and to the poor and to the downtrodden and to the discouraged and to the mournful and the dissatisfied and to every one of us who clearly sees this world is not as it should be. The apostles went out with that message to the family, to the waiting room, to the lobby, to those waiting for the king to arrive. They went to tell them that the long-awaited grandkid of Abraham had come. The king was here. And it's good news. My hope for you is twofold. That you would be encouraged to proclaim this good news that found its way all the way to you. This message started with these apostles and crossed oceans to get to you. Be encouraged by the breadth and the scope and the longevity of this message. The good news of the kingdom does not wane, has not waned, will not wane. And the same king that sent the apostles continues to send laborers for the harvest and has put his good news on your lips. And if you have not heard this message before, 
receive it. Receive it and all the peace it brings. I want you to receive peace and not judgment. Receive it. This morning, we get to remember together the sacrifice of this king, the king who came to us. Communion is another reminder, a reminder we can hold in touch that the kingdom is at hand, that the king came, that the king died to conquer death and exert his authority to cleanse us and make us whole, to connect us to himself. It's a reminder that the king rose again to give us life and we share this little meal until we see him return in authority and power and glory. If you belong to the king, then this communion is for you. If you say, yes, I am with King Jesus and his death and his life apply to me, then this is for you. And during the next song, please come up and take the bread and the cup that are in Two cups are stacked together, so be aware of that. Take them and, we'll, and then go back to your seat and we'll take it together after the song. If you do not accept Jesus as king, if you have not received this message, then just sit and ponder. Think and ponder. His word to you is that the kingdom is at hand. Accept the peace of that good news. I want you to know the good news rather than reject it. Let me pray, and then we'll sing and we'll take communion. Lord Jesus, thank you for bringing the kingdom close at hand. Thank you for sending apostles to proclaim it. Thank you that the message continued to bound forward. Thank you that even now this morning I can proclaim the kingdom and we have the same opportunity to receive it and its peace. I ask that everyone in this room receive that peace and avoid the inevitable judgment of those who reject you. Reject you, the good king. Give us a deeper understanding that you, the good king, died in order to save us. In your name, amen.